Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living stoves. Stover. Stover. Are you sober? <laughs> we don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. Stover. Stover. I'm Don. <laughs> yeah, Stober Don. I'm Stober Don. <laughs> and I'm Sam. <laughs> Stober Sam. How are you, Sam? I'm doing all right, Don. How are you? I'm enthusiastic. You are quite enthusiastic today. It's <laughs> it's making me wonder if maybe you had a little extra coffee. I I had some good strong coffee. You're chewing on the grounds right now, but aren't you? I, I like that Bill says that we are in Bill W says that we are enthusiasts. You live it to the fullest. I know that. That's right. You know, it's part of that pack into the stream of life thing. What does it mean we are enthusiasts? I think it's kind of along those lines of, well, I, I actually, it's, it's wonderful that you asked that because yesterday I had two opportunities to say this line that I heard several years ago that I love, and it totally fits the enthusiast thing. Anything worth doing is worth doing until it kills me. <laughs> That's an alcoholic for you. <laughs> That's exactly it. I was thinking that enthusiast is kind of a polite way of saying obsessive. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> Which I, I like that kind of thing. I might have told you I one time had a girlfriend break up with me. And she said, Don, your personality is just too large to live in the house with you. <laughs> and I thought, well, that was a really nice thing to say. And later I thought back and was going, oh, <laughs> yeah. that may not have really been a compliment. Did that make it out of your fourth step? It did. That's when I realized that maybe, <laughs> maybe there was something else going on besides the uh, really positive expression that my personality is so large. Yeah, that's kind of along the lines of you being a spiritual gas giant. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess it is. <laughs> well, we have a guest, and that's another reason I'm so enthusiastic. Introduce, introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Carol. Carol P. How are you guys? Hey, Carol. Great, Great Carol. Carol. Thank you. Thanks for joining Thanks. us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. How long have you been sober? I picked up a 25-year chip in December. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. One day got to tell you, we're really glad that you're sober. I'm mm. very glad to be sober. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Be because I knew you when you drank. <laughs> I knew you when you drank. <laughs> this is one of the things that I'm excited about. Excuse me. you are. Since y'all know each other so well, I'm going to go pop some popcorn and just sit here and listen, okay? <laughs> uh, I think you might find it entertaining. <laughs> it's good for me because to have people that are in the program that knew me when I was drinking, it's, you know, I remember my sponsor, Gary, my first sponsor, I was one time going, you know, I don't know that I was really an alcoholic because I just didn't drink that much. And he went, his face screwed up. <laughs> Don, you were a heavy drinker. I, I, I knew you drinking as <laughs> well. It's funny, and I had the experience of talking about the first time I heard about hiding drinking in AA, <laughs> and uh, I was talking to you, Carol, yes. about hi yes. about yeah. You know, I I just didn't think that I hid my drinking. 
that much. And the thing is, you didn't do it well. No, no. <laughs> and, well, Car and Carol said. I, I watched you, Don. <laughs> and we would go to parties. I would go with my husband, and you'd be there, and I'd watch you. Well, it started really with, I watched how you always had a beer in your hand, even when the party didn't have beer left. <laughs> so that got me very curious. So at the next party, I was probably smoking outside, and I saw you and your lovely better half come up, and you walked around the side of the house. And I was like, hmm, let me kind of follow him and see what he's doing. <laughs> a cat burglar. It was. So I just peeked around the side of the house, and I saw you put a big old 12-pack of beer underneath a bush. And I'm like, oh. That's how he has a beer all the time. So, And let me guess, then you had a beer all oh, the time. Oh, well, see, the thing is, I was hiding my beer from my husband, or well, my boyfriend at the time. <laughs> we didn't want our people to know how much we were actually drinking. Well, of course not. No. So you had to preload before the party. Yes. Of course. And then it looked like you were a lady drinking just a few beers, or the same <laughs> one. And then after I realized what Don was doing, I would finish my beer and go outside and get a beer from underneath the bush. And I'd have, I've just had beer all, all night long. Now, was this your beer or no, Don's beer? Don's, Don's, Don's beer. beer. Yes. It, it, so <laughs> have you, have you, have you made amends for that? Thanks, Sam. Don has been asking for an amends. And I think if you ask for an amends, you don't get an amends. Oh, so, you know, one of the things I've heard is that you can pay it forward. Then. Yes. You, you can, you can make a donation in someone's name to something or, you know, if, if you would like to make amends to me for Don, the, the Don thing, <laughs> then, then we can do that. We could do I that. like donuts. You do like donuts. I do. Okay. <laughs> I don't see how buying Sam donuts makes amends to me. It's a karma thing. I just thought you were you were quietly sharing with me. Oh yeah, I like that. That well, you know, from what alcoholic you always were a generous person, and that's very generous of you. <laughs> I have to throw in a quick little anecdote from last night when you said about preloading. Yes, um, I went to a coffee shop before a meeting last night. And was sitting there talking with a friend who was going to the meeting as well. And he was like, man, I had to drink a coffee just to get here to the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, we used to do that to go to the oh, bar yeah. too. It's oh, true. Yeah. Times have changed, yes. but I'm still preloading. Yes. The, the pre behavior stays the same in a lot of ways. <laughs> that compulsion. Yeah, mm -hmm. it really does. Now, you got, so you came into AA a few years before I did. I did. A couple. Yeah. Let's see, I've got twenty-three. Mm-hmm. When I came in, it was a, it was important to me to talk to you because I was freaked out. You were. Your eyes were bulging. Well, that first meeting I saw you at. You saw me um, at the you know, at the what was a Wednesday morning meeting. I think. oh, you were at the the second meeting that I went. I went to one meeting that yes. I couldn't tolerate. It took yes. me four days to go back. Yes, and. Uh, you saw me at the Wednesday meeting where I actually picked up a beginner's chip yes, to start. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I was I was completely freaked out. You are. Your uh, experience, I mean, just knowing that you were there, though, was a real um, anchor for me. And I was really excited to see you walk in the house, in that door. Yeah. In the house. Yeah. I really was. It made me really happy to see you walk in. 
And I was a little nervous because you never know, you know, if someone's going to stay or not. Right. But I was really excited to see you. Yeah, well, I was I was in bad shape. Well, tell me about what how you came to a decision to go to AA the first time in the first place. Well, it was a twofold experience. Um, my job at the time was had like we had national meetings, and that's where I really did free alcohol. Boy, I would have a big time, you know, load up, finish the mini bars, you know, do, I mean, I was totally out of control at the end of my drinking. Na uh, national meetings at work? Well, yeah, for work. For work. For work. And so at one of these meetings, uh, my boss's boss, a, a regional vice president of some sort, uh, apparently was in Al-Anon. And she pulled me aside and asked me for the first time, no one had ever actually asked me my whole life, do you have a drinking problem? So I actually had to think about it and say, I don't know. And I was also trying to be self-preservation for work. Like, well, what do I say here? Like, this is a big person. So I said, I don't know. And she said, would you like to find out? And I was going to, you know, what am I going to say? I said, well, of course I'd like to find out. And so she got me enrolled in an after, after hours, like a, an evening outpatient program for like six weeks or so. And I, I did that. And... After like a week of that, I realized very quickly that I was going to have to say I was an alcoholic for me to grad, so so called graduate mm -hmm. from this program and look good in, in my work. Mm -hmm. So I remember going home and talking to my, I was married at this time and I, talking to my husband and telling him, you know, like what my thoughts were and that, you know, hey, so I'm going to have to say I'm an alcoholic, but we know that I'm not, right? And he just looked at me and went, whatever you say, Carol. So I went on. <laughs> and you totally believed it. I truly believed it in my whole heart. I remember being just totally so sad for these people in these rooms, in this outpatient program. And then they would take us to AA meetings and how, how sad it was that these people had to spend their life in these dreary rooms. And then the last thing was they took us to a baseball game to learn how to have fun sober. And I'm not a baseball person anyway. And that was like literally peeling my nails off my fingers. It was the most torturous thing I'd ever been to. So Be I Because it was baseball or because you weren't drinking? Both. Yeah. Baseball. If it had been football, I probably would have enjoyed it and wanted a beer. Or probably, But I would drink on the way home, you know, from these programs anyway. Grab a couple of beers on the way home back into Greensboro. So, but having to do this big social situation, oh, it's hard, and you can't drink, oh. and and know, I hate baseball, I hate baseball, oh. and the whole thing. The whole thing was just not did not suit me at all. <laughs> so I graduated because I said I was an alcoholic, yay, and then that was fine. And then I continued on with my path of drinking, and made sure I hit it even better at work. So stayed in my room and drank mini bars. So you didn't really learn. I learned nothing. from that, that. I learned how to hide my drinking. So then at those national meetings, you weren't drinking at the open oh, bar Oh, no. I was in my like room that. drinking yeah. a mini bar. Yeah. I mean, totally every night, like demolishing it. I mean, credit, just charge it to my credit card. I had, that was expensive. And then, so I'm still with the same job. And then um, in December of 1992, December 10th, I got a DUI. So that was interesting because I... I guess I had my alcohol level at such a high amount of, of just maintaining it that I didn't realize it. I just had, I never really appeared drunk, but I would I would work 
cut out work about, I was in sales, so I cut out work. Every year it got a little bit earlier. <laughs> so, you know, about 2.30, 3 o'clock, I was sitting in the bars, but I couldn't stay at one bar. I'd have to go to three so that the bartender didn't realize how much I drank. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Which by is myself, called hiding. I learned that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally, I hid from everybody. In the meantime, my husband, who obviously must have some innate capability of being an Al-Anon without ever being an Al-Anon, had the innate ability to detach with love. We were only married just a couple of years. He totally just let me fall. I mean, never criticized me, or if he did, I was too drunk to hear it. But I just... Was he just kind of let me go. And so this one night, you know, I got pulled up. Well, actually, this per I tapped a person, literally, truly, not exaggerating alcoholically, but I truly, at a stoplight, tapped a person. And so they called the cops. And they probably smelled alcohol on me, but I'm not really sure. But then the cops came and took me downtown because they didn't have the portable breathalyzers at the time. And I remember sitting in that room now it's ticking time. You know, I'm not home, so time is ticking. And um, I get, go downtown. I was just put out. I was just like, this is stupid. Why do you have me in here? And I'm walking fine, talking fine. And they put me in a room, and they give me a breathalyzer. This one guy does. And he looks up, and then he calls somebody else in, and they give me another breathalyzer. And I'm like, okay, another one. So then they look at the whatever the results are, and then they – so excuse me, and they walk out, and they come back in with, I guess, some big dude, like a sergeant. I don't know. And so there's three of them now looking at my doing it a third time. I'm like, really, guys? Is your machine broken? So they And they were probably wondering. <laughs> <laughs> they give me a third breathalyzer, and then they look up, and the guy says, ma'am, I think you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So yeah, two point point two six was was a was a, I guess a big thing for a little five foot two hundred and fifteen pound person. They were wondering how you were standing. Oh yeah, I was talking, you know, fine, but it didn't stop there because then I um, had to go in to sit in the holding cell waiting. I made my phone call, but it didn't call my husband because I thought I was still planning how I was going to get out of this, why I was late coming home, mm. and all that. So I figured it out. Some people I used to babysit for. I called the husband, and they came and were coming to pick me up and take me home, which was very nice of them. I hadn't talked to them in about four years, but that was very sweet of them to do that. So I'm like, okay, good. And, and in that jail cell, just kind of relaxing and trying to figure out what I was going to do when the cop walks by and with a walkie-talkie and goes, ma'am, is your name Carol P.? And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, a 10-4 on that missing person? So then I'm like, oh, so now my husband knows that he called in a missing person report for me. So he knows that there's something wrong, and he called the jail, and he knows I'm at jail. And he's worried. Well, I didn't think about that. Mm -hmm. I was still thinking, how am I going to get out of this? Mm -hmm. So when we got home, um, I decided to, you know, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning, I was going to show this family my new house that we just bought. <laughs> Trying to bring them in and have, like, coffee and... Nice southern nice hospita hospitality. Oh, it's fabulous. It is. And my husband <laughs> looked at them and said, I don't think that's going to work. And he closed the door on them. I said, that's very rude. So then he brings me upstairs to his office. And this is where I had my first moment of clarity. And he sits me down and he pulls out years of hurt and pain and 
observations and feelings and just did nothing but unload them on me. I, could, I couldn't say anything. I just watched and I would think a little bit about how to get out of this. But at one point, God came and gave me that moment of clarity. And I actually looked up and saw in his eyes, my husband's eyes, and I said, oh, my God, I'm really hurting somebody else. Wow. This isn't just about me. And so when we finished at 5, five or 6 o'clock in the morning, he had me calling everybody, my parents, my doctor, his parents, or his mother, his sister, his brother, I mean, anybody he could think of to tell them that I'd just gotten a DUI. So it was almost like admitting I was an alcoholic without saying it. So after all of that, he's he, like... So he wanted you to do that to admit that you got a DUI? Yes. When you had to tell him... I had to tell it. everybody I had a DUI. Everybody, even my doctor. And my doctor said to me on the phone she was kind and answered the call the after hours call and she called back and said carol the only thing i know to tell you is to go to alcoholics anonymous i don't have good experience with this but i hear they do I'm like, okay. so after all of that now it's like eight o'clock in the morning and my husband said so what are you going to do i said i think i need to go to a meeting so i went to my first meeting that day on december 10th no december 11th this happened on december 10th Mm -hmm. So on December 11th, and I went to my first meeting. So that's how I walked into these rooms. Wow. Scared, just blown away in my head. I just totally confused. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know if they could help me. I didn't really, I really didn't pay attention to the a couple of A meetings I'd gone to with that program. So, because I was too busy feeling sorry for everybody. Mm. So I don't, I just went. So you're in trouble. I'm totally in trouble. Were you thinking that, oh, I really do have a problem, or were you thinking I'm in trouble? And I, I thought I've hurt my husband. Mm -hmm. I really have hurt someone else. This isn't this isn't just fun and games anymore. So it wasn't just that you had a moment of clarity and then kept going. Correct. It no, was I stopped. a moment of clarity, and it interrupted enough that you could get going into AA. And that was the last time I drank. That December 10th was my last drink. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So did you start going to AA regularly at that point i did i just went and they people told me i remember going to that first meeting and people being very nice and i remember one person leaned over and said because i must have looked like a shell-shocked person i <laughs> i have no idea how i looked it doesn't matter well i don't i have no idea how i look but you described how yeah, i looked pretty I well did. none of us look amazing no. when we no, walk we into don't. the room obviously not <laughs> So I must have been, you know, this this lady leaned over mm -hmm. and said, she said to me, whatever you do, don't compare yourself. Just try to identify. And I thought, okay, I can do that. And then it kind of took down my guard. And I did listen to this room filled with just totally different types of people. And it was, it was like the 10 o'clock Saturday morning meeting. And I remember just identifying with feelings, the emptiness, the hole, and they're trying to fill up. And that's where I was like, oh, so they do feel like I do. But then, so I, I didn't have a sponsor. Oh, I take that back. I did try to enroll into an inpatient program. But they wouldn't enroll me. So they enrolled me in an after-hours care on my own. So I went into uh, another place here in, locally. And so I would work. Well, which was funny because I'm in sales, so getting a DUI is probably... So I did work for a little bit until 
like February of the following year when they did a downsizing and my manager and his boss decided to put me in that downsizing instead of firing me, which mm -hmm. was very kind of them. So it didn't put a record, a mark on my record. You didn't, from the DUI, you didn't lose your license or you did? Lose I your, did. You oh, lost yeah. your I license, lost which would make it really hard to be in sales. Yeah, so you have to have a license to drive their car, you know, driving mm -hmm. a company car. And so you have to report that. Right. So they were very kind. And so that left me with nothing to do but go to meetings and then go to this after-hours care place. And I learned the after-hours care was tremendous in learning about the disease of the program, watching people not make it was scary. So it kind of put the fear in me. They taught me to get a sponsor, which I didn't know what that meant, but I asked somebody and then never called her. But I did go to meetings. <laughs> I, I did that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a sponsor. I was able to report it to this to this director, but I never called the person. But I went to about two or three meetings a day, every single day. I, I, I love that you're saying that. I'm, I've been talking with a sponsee lately who has a similar situation where there's a lot of time in the day. And I'm like, you know, you could go to more than one meeting yes. a day. Um, how many people would love to have the luxury of being able to do that in early recovery. Correct. Um, it would be fantastic. I'm glad you took advantage of it. Well, and I, I did, I did because I didn't know what else to do with myself, and I didn't want to drink. And and the days are long. The days are very long. Oh, yeah. So you would go to, I would go to the morning meeting, and then women would just invite me to go to lunch. So then there was the after meeting where I never spoke. I was watching how people interacted sober. It was just foreign to me. I had closed myself off from everybody didn't talk to anybody, didn't really have any friends that I even kept up with because I was too busy drinking. So to sit at a, at a lunch place and watch people communicate, I did that for a full year before I actually started communicating back. I remember the first time, it was about nine months into my meeting going, when I actually spoke at a meeting and everybody broke out into applause because I actually, they'd never heard my voice, which is wow. funny. Wow. I know. I know, because you're talkative. I, I can be. <laughs> yeah. I can be. That so, was so polite, Don. Yeah. <laughs> so, no amends for you. <laughs> well, what I, I don't mean you it just, as a bad thing. I mean that you that off for another year or so. You always share in meetings. I do now, right. because I feel that I have to. I've got some experience and strength and hope to share that I need to. I didn't have anything but fear when I walked in. Right. So I didn't have anything to share. And I did get a sponsor that uh, probably after my first year that it really was more of a social sponsor, just kind of kept me accountable. We met once a week. We'd talk on the phone. She helped me go through. I remember the first time going to dinner with other people and calling her in a panic, like, I don't know what to do. Going right. out to dinner, what do I, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to this restaurant where everybody knows us, mm -hmm. you know. And she said, "Well, what are you afraid of?" I'm like, "Well, what am I going to do when the waitress comes by and says, what do you want to drink?'" And she said, "Uh, you could say water." And I'm like, "Oh, oh!" I mean, I literally had no but idea that I, I could order water. We need that clear direction, though. That. Obviously, it's simple, and 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 as soon as you hear it, it's like, "Well, duh." Duh, it is but, now. But, but we need at that, that point, clarity. It was an Absolutely. Absolutely. I went to a restaurant really early, and I went with my sponsor. He and his wife, and me and my wife, went out to dinner, and we sat down, and there were wine glasses at every place setting, mm -hmm. and I was freaking out. And he reached over, turned the wine glass his, and then turned mine upside down. Mm -hmm. And when the waitress came around, 
she took those glasses away and I was going, Yep. Dodged it. <laughs> it's, it's those little things. It's it really is. But, you know, is it, I had no idea how to deal with I, it. I didn't either. I, I love. No oh, I love that also that you uh, you you learned how to socialize. Yes. In in the room. That's what they taught me. And and that's that was my experience in so many ways too. I uh, at, at about three years sober, I took a job that had me traveling the I world, and that I had Sam. yeah, yeah I and I and that. I had to do these cocktail parties with twenty to thirty people that I didn't know, um, and many of whom for uh, that that English was their second language. And, um, and also I did these dinners at times too. And, and I, there's no way I could have done that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have done it drinking cause I would have been sloppy drunk. Correct. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I, if, if I had not gotten the, the chance to practice and learn in the fellowship of AA, there's no way I could have done that. No, no, I learned so much and, and it was, it's pretty, I mean, I owe my life to the program and, but the people were so patient. I've never seen more, more patient people in my life with me, you know, just walking me through. And, and I wasn't even in the big book yet. I was just learning. People were just offering their time and experience and their strength and hope. And there was, there, I remember early in the program, around that first year, watching people that can't kind of, you know, you, you kind of gravitate toward the people that come in at the same time you do as the newcomers. And I remember watching so many people pick up starter chips. And I must have had a funny look on my face because there was a, delightful older gentleman named Ed who always obviously kept an eye on me for some reason. And and he must have seen my look on someone else getting a start over chip, or it might've been their third start over chip. And I just didn't, I just was like, wow, so confused. And he grabbed me after the meeting with his little bony fingers and he held my hands and he looked me straight in the eyes and he said, Carol, I just want you to know that relapse is not a requirement in AA. And I was like, oh, so you understand. He understood what I was thinking. And he took the time to find me and to say that to me. So, I mean, just many examples like that mm-hmm. of people just sharing their strength and hope with me to keep me in. And then working the big book obviously changed my life with a, a very rigid and tough sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God we've got all kinds of sponsors, we right? We do, absolutely. Yeah. And loving and kind. I mean, yeah. very loving and kind. What was a uh, a crisis point as you were working the steps where you either gave up or found something in, in AA that's like really working? Well, obviously, you know, when I did my, finally did my first step, I, I'm very controlling, uh, like things my way, fear-based, you know, I act out and out of fear. So doing a first step, that changed my life, but getting to that four step is interesting because my sponsor, I was at this time now pregnant with our daughter, and we were going. We had scheduled to do my fifth step, so I've been working on my four step. Four step is inventory, correct? Doing my inventory. The fifth step is sharing. Sharing it. it. So I was going to be doing my sharing, my fifth step with my sponsor before I was due to give birth. So we planned that out. So that was done. My child decided to come almost four weeks early. So that put that in total tailspin. You know, this little baby needs to feed all the time. And, you know, I have to devote my entire life to this child because she's so dependent on me. And I'm the only one in the world that can take care of her the best because she's almost a, a preemie. 
And my sponsor kept saying, you know, she's a lovely person, kept coming over to visit with the baby and said, we need to do your four step. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And so probably about, <laughs> this is good. about like two months later, I'm, you know, still, I'm still on maternity leave and I'm just in hog heaven with nothing but my sole focus is my daughter. Just was the wrong thing to be doing. But in my world, that was the only thing I was tapped Felt to right. do. Correct. Felt right. And my sponsor gave me an ultimatum. You either give me your fifth step this Saturday or you find another sponsor. We can't keep delaying this. And what really was, she saw what I was doing and it was not good, but I did. I was taking care of a baby. Mm -hmm. So I remember strolling around the neighborhood with my husband and I was just, nah, 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 nah. and can you believe she said blah, blah, and la, 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 and I, the whole way, just in his ear, just complaining, and I can't believe the nerve of her, and oh my God, and he looked at me and said, well, it looks to me like you have two choices. You either go give your fist up or you fight, let her fire you. I'm like, who are you? Are you being infiltrated by those people? How dare you? I know, you're supposed to be on my side. So I begrudgingly went. And did my fist up, and it was the most amazing thing. So it was absolutely. Was your sponsor on your resentment list at that point? No, <laughs> no. She used to call me sassy, and so <laughs> I, I was just sassy. And I, I at that point, you know, it'd been over a year, it'd been two years now. So I kind of got some of my step back in my, you know, mm -hmm. lifted my step, got a little bit of personality, and you know that pendulum swings from one end to the other. So I went way over into sassy. <laughs> would challenge now why do you say that i don't agree with that and um then doing that fist up chain that was amazing and then doing many 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 four steps on the same issues until it finally got in my head many years later it was just a process but a process i would never go back and, and undo it was i would do it again in a heartbeat is there something that you did do the four steps on repeatedly oh, that you would be willing to share control, about? Control, absolutely. Control, self-centeredness, um, and fear. So um, these were manifestations of the uh, the character defect cropping up, but, correct. but in a different situation. Correct. The, the many, every situation was one of those three. Gotcha. And that's what having a sponsor work with you on. And, and if you give your fifth step to someone that's going to continue being your sponsor, which is how I've done it and it worked beautifully for me because she knew what my patterns were. Mm -hmm. So when I call up complaining and I was very good at telling on myself, which was God, because I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm here. I might as well be honest. So if I acted out or felt this way, I would call her and tell her and she would immediately know, well, that let's, she would know what the defect was, but she wouldn't tell me because I'd have to do a little mini fourth to find out why. Okay. And so I found every single time it was either fear control or self-centeredness which is a form of control and then having a sponsor who you had given who you had talked to and who knew you can see where it like like when i can be talking i don't exactly know sometime where this is coming from this problem oh, well, you have I'm no having. idea mm -hmm. but then the sponsors go oh this obviously clear to a, a dispassionate third party well, you're obviously trying to control something you can't control here, and this is what you do. Right. And so then as soon as, as soon as it's pointed out to me, 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, oh, I, <laughs> now I can now. see it. Tom and what's beautiful for me now, fast forward to where I am today, I just get feelings in my stomach and I'll stop and say, what are you afraid of? What are you trying to control? Mm-hmm. What are you being self-centered? You about? go right I to your I, I already know where to go and I can kind of work it through and say, oh, and step back and not act it out. So I'm going to make an assumption that you're not one of these people who says, that I'm still sick and I'm still crazy. No. Thank you. Because someone with 25 years of sobriety, let's keep it attractive. Right. And attractive is, I know what my go-tos are whenever I'm feeling uncomfortable, so let me look at them and see what's going on. Ah, that's what it is. This is what I need to do and keep going. Correct. Um, But you have to keep taking your medicine. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So I still go to meetings. I still chair meetings. I, I'm a GSR representative. I sponsor. I have a sponsor that sponsors, so I work with the grand sponsee. I go to a, an AA book club, uh, and we read recovery or mindful-type positive readings to help us improve um, and get back to you know our center with our relationship with our higher power. Yeah, I mean, I have to keep doing If I stop doing any of that, I will be crazy at 25 years. But what I hear also is not so much I have to. I get that you have to, that there is a, a, at the root of it all, is that needs to happen. But what I'm hearing when you convey it, the passion behind it, is that you like doing it. I I love my life. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be where I am today without any of it. So I'm not going to stop doing what's making it work. Yeah. That's yeah. the way I feel. Yeah. It's like, it's. Why would I do that? This is such a great way to live. God. Most people don't have no. the ability to look at what they're doing and, and examine life. Truly. It, it is. And the fact is that, frankly, I think we get a leg up on society by being members of Alcoholics, active members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And one such way is, you know, you talked about going into that first meeting after you had stopped drinking. And that you saw and heard people sharing from all, all kinds of different people from various parts of life. Correct. And, and and the thing is that we are a cross section of society. We are. And the cool thing is, I get to interact with all kinds of people in these rooms, and get not from everybody necessarily, but for the most part, a level of tolerance. From them with my social flubs, my social awkwardness, or anything else that lets me practice interacting with all kinds of people. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. People it's made out- me better at my job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tremendously. And it, with my, and you know, I look at my relationships with my friends, my family, uh, my husband's family, who I really didn't have much time for because mm-hmm. they didn't really suit me either. Nothing really suited me but my drink. And how they've enveloped me. And when both my parents passed, they just stepped right in and and was there as as my family. Which I didn't feel it until then because I didn't really let them in. Yeah. Made you a better person. Made me a better person, totally. And a better mother. Mm -hmm. Much better mother. Like what you were saying about being a mother, I mean, there's an imperative there that, that the mother's got to take care of the child. But the truth of the matter for an alcoholic is we have to put taking care of our disease first. And that's what or I learned. Can, you know, you've got to. <laughs> and that's what got, I learned from my sponsor. 
Uh, you've got to put your program first or you're not going to be a good mother. Yeah, you had a good, you had a good sponsor. I did. There's uh, another thing I want to talk to you about because uh, you helped me with this. And now you had a different story uh, coming into the program with your relationship with God. I was freaked out by the idea. I had no relationship with God. I did not believe that there was anything. I, I always talked about it, praying to the nothing. Whereas you have shared with me, when you came in, you had a relationship with God. And tell us a little bit about your journey, because, I mean, people come from different places. Uh, uh -huh. I, I was raised Catholic, and I, I still love my religion. So I was a dutiful Catholic, went to church every Sunday, all through my recovery, I mean, all through my recovery and my drinking. But it's interesting because I used, <laughs> God was the person I prayed to for other people. God, mm -hmm. you need to take care of this person. I'll take care of me. I got me down. I'm your co-pilot here. We're good. Or you're my co-pilot. Actually, you're my co-pilot. I'm going to tell you <laughs> who to take care there you of. Go. Yep. And I got me. So don't worry about me, but take care of all these other people. And so I had, I did not have a punishing God, believe it or not. I was one of the, yes, one of the very few Catholics that did not get raised with a punishing God or a God that was, uh, you know, demanding. I just, I always had love. I felt love. So, but again, I used God as my tool because I, again, am very self-centered and controlling. So he would fit that very well. Being, and, being controlling and then having a all-powerful being at wonderful. your demand. It's good. It's pretty mighty. It's pretty mighty. Mm -hmm. Pretty mighty. <laughs> it's really mighty. So, yeah, yeah. I had a beautiful spiritual awakening, almost like a Bill W. one with, with kind of like the voices and the lights and all that. And that changed. That, that was when I realized that God's in charge. So it was a journey for me. And then I had to really learn. I had my second sponsor help me learn how to pray because I still didn't get, I, I was still falling into praying for other people. And that was feeding my control big time. It wasn't really altruistic. It was me praying, you know, controlling the outcome of what I wanted done. So my second sponsor kind of fixed a lot of things that I you know, when, when, you, when you're going through some uh, the steps with one sponsor, you don't get everything. There's mm. things that you miss because it's not the glaringly obvious. So the little nuances my second sponsor fixed, and one of them was how to pray. And I basically pray now just for God's will and for me to accept it. That's really it. That's letting go. It is totally letting go. Whereas the other type of prayer is control. It is. For me, it's not good. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's assuming that I know what's well, best I do, for other people. Well, I would know if I get if I keep doing it. I do know, and I I will catch myself. One one of the things I do is I my relationship with God now is more of a He's with me all the time. I talk to Him all the time in my head, or even in the car out loud, and share experiences like, "Oh, that's pretty funny over there." Uh, if I have a situation that I'm going into where I'm nervous, I'll say, "Please, kind of just be with me for a minute while I walk in here." So. That's what I do. It's pretty cool. It's a it's a great relationship. AA gave me that relationship. I I'm sitting here grinning because I get what you're saying, mm -hmm. and I'm atheist. Isn't that interesting? And I and I do that too. That's awesome. I do that too. I still pray. Um, I'm not praying to an entity as such. Uh -huh. um, and my concept evolves. 
but I still do. And I get something from it. It's awesome. And I have that ongoing conversation. I mean, I'll, I'll sit down with a sponsee and, um, especially when I'm first sitting uh, sitting there and talking with them in, or in the early days. And I'll talk about prayer a little bit. And it's like, yeah, and I just did it right now. Yeah, while I was talking with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, things like that of just like, oh, yeah, I forgot to check in before we sat down. So God, please guide me with this guy. Yeah. That type of thing. Yeah. And, and and I remember my, my first sponsor was great at getting me. In, and then my second sponsor, both of those two, two ladies really helped form my thoughts of, how to utilize my higher power or God, you know, just checking in and, and talking. And I don't know, it's just, it's letting the control, let go and let God really does mean something to me today. It's pretty cool. Well, I got to admit there, there, there is some attraction for me to like having the all powerful God at my control. Yeah, it was for wonderful. like when the asshole pulls out in front of yeah. me on the road and drives uh -huh. really slowly. I would really like to control Smite God. Then. Smite God. Yeah. yeah, I like, but yeah, that's not what we need to. Know. No, it doesn't really work. No. But no. <laughs> well, that's a that's kind of an idea of God that's really popular in the world. Just Smite God. Smite God. Smite God. Or Santa Claus God. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and that's what my problem was when I first came to AA with God was. What is this thing that you that y'all are praying to? I don't get it. And talking to you helped me when I was first in because I really struggle with letting go of this idea that letting go and letting there be some higher power that I would pray to. Ultimately, what happened was I did it because I didn't want to drink. I was under so much pressure to get drunk one day that I decided to do it because I was either going to go get drunk or something had to give. Mm -hmm. And I gave and I prayed and not, I did, nothing happened like a big light or anything like that. The, the ground didn't crack open and doves fly out. But I felt a, uh, actually the prayer was, God, get me out of this. I can't, <laughs> I can't take it. Mm -hmm. And my next thought was, Don, you don't need to get out of this. You need to go through this and get to the other side That's and true. you'll be okay. And it wasn't like the voice of God, Don. <laughs> it was just my normal thinking going, no, you, that's not going to work. You, you, don't, you can't get out of this. You need to go through this. But that is not my normal thinking. No. Yes. Because I am not the type of person who goes, let's have pain and go through it. It was the first time that ever happened. That me. for me, that's that still small voice. That thing that I wonder, it's like, I wonder how my life would have been if I'd listened to that all along. But today, for the most part, not always, that is that intuition, that knowing is available to me when I am open to it. When I ask, when I when I open up and I'm willing, it, I'll let go. It's like well, go. and that you just you, you know that's a big part of my recovery too, Don. Is the, is going through walking through the pain, and I mean because I'd rather drink than go through pain. Right. You know, and that's I the would, whole point. I would go around, pain. under, over, dig a tunnel. You know, bargain anything, but have to walk through it. And the amount of energy that I spent not going through it was way more than the pain, little bit of pain I got going through it. Mm -hmm. But it just took experience. 
to get there. I didn't have experience with it because I drank before going to pain. And that's mm. where we have to have, if not faith, trust yeah, that no. the people around us that have been through this, when they say, if you will go through this, it will be better. Yep. And trust it and, and trust them and do it. Yeah. And then we get our own experience upon which then faith gets built. And I, I think I, I, I've shared this before in meeting. At that point in my sobriety, when I was starting to go through this part of my learning, I likened it to, um, well, I'm afraid of heights. That's first of all, just before I start on this. So I'm just, I just can't do it. I get that panicky feeling and sweats and all that. So when I remember the first time I had to walk through something that I didn't want to walk through and I decided to try the trust that it was going to work, I pictured myself climbing up a great big mountain again, and I'm panicking because I'm afraid of heights in my mind and getting to the very top and looking down and seeing nothing but just clouds. And then I would look up at my, at the, at heaven and say, okay, I'm turning this over to you and throwing myself off the mountain. And then I see the hand of God reach out before I hit the bottom and grab me. And that's literally how I would force myself for years and probably to do it subconsciously now to make myself go through those pains. Hmm. It's pretty, it's powerful for me. Visualize trust. I visualize that trust. It's beautiful. That's great. You know, you were talking about, um, you, you were talking about pain. And that you would go around it and uh, one side or the other, try to dig under it, anything to avoid going through it. And it totally brought me back to a, a phrase that I absolutely love that talks about fear, which fear of pain is one of the things that we're dealing with there, too. And that is fear is a mile high and a mile wide and paper thin. That's true. And while pain may not be paper thin, we may have to go through it for a period of time. It still applies. Yeah. It does. That's right. Carol, thanks for Thank being you. here. Thank you. Glad to be here. We uh, now hang around. Uh, please do. There is a feathered friend that's going to deliver a, a question for the old timer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's time for our old timer's question. Who you calling an old timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. No matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time, sunny. Don't say, hey, it's always sunny. One of these days. Pow, right in the kisser. <laughs> if you want to ask a question, go to boiledowlaa.org. We have a question from Phoebe in California. I've been going to AA, but I'm still drinking. Can I still come to meetings? It's a pretty simple question. Yeah. What say you? The answer is yes. Thanks, Don. Um, <laughs> so, Carol, what do you <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous is for people who have a desire to quit drinking. Don't have to quit first. I mean, there are people who come in trying to determine if they're an alcoholic. And that is the question. Am I an alcoholic? It's mm -hmm. a... Not an easy question to answer. You know, it's, I didn't know what an alcoholic was. And I found all kinds of things once I started coming to AA. And it's like, oh, so that's what an alcoholic is. And one of the 
things that was just blew my mind was if you think you might be an alcoholic, you're probably an alcoholic, mm -hmm. which really makes sense if you think about it, because if you're not an alcoholic, you wouldn't think about it because you wouldn't be drinking to excess or out of control. You wouldn't be going, well, oh, I wonder if I'm an alcoholic. I keep drinking too much. Well, quit. But if you can't quit, you might be an alcoholic. And those are the things that you can learn coming to meetings. Yeah, very much so. What do you think, Carol? I agree. I mean, absolutely. We don't shut the doors on anybody. I mean, I would challenge Phoebe to maybe meet some of the people in the rooms and talk to them and go out after the meeting and get more involved in just finding out what this program is about besides just the meeting itself because there is so much that people could share after the meeting that might help her to realize it herself as well. Yeah, I think that that right there is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. You know, in the meetings, um, I, I hear experience, strength, and hope, mm -hmm. but it's not a conversation. No. It is someone, it's various people sharing. It may be a speaker who is sharing that, or it may be in a discussion meeting or whatever. People who are sharing, usually once, there's no give and take, no back and forth. But going to that meeting after the meeting, going for that coffee, that slice of pie, that just stand around after the meeting and talk, mm -hmm. that's where the conversations happen, and that's where we get to know each other. Right. And that's where we get to ask questions, and like, so what What were you like when you came in here? Mm -hmm. Did you, were you afraid? You know, all these questions. Not in the meeting, after the meeting is where you have those kinds of conversations. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. And then um, to, to hit the point, too, I'm still drinking. Uh, can I still come to meetings? Absolutely. Because, you know, Carol, you, you had your last drink before you came to AA and you didn't drink anymore. Correct. I drank many more times after coming to AA. It took me a while to get some traction. Mm -hmm. um, a, a thing about relapse that I, uh, I heard several years ago that I love is that every single one of us relapses. It's just some of us do it before we come to AA. Absolutely. Right. I had all mine before I came in. You've exactly. got to fail at drinking to be able to realize that you can't drink. I mean, exactly. because if not, I'd still be drinking. Yeah, there you go. absolutely would. I was speaking one time. Now, here's the thing, though. If you're drinking, if you're drunk coming to meetings, <laughs> that's not okay. I mean, you can still come. You can you come, can but come, keep but your please, mouth shut. Yeah, please just kind of listen. <laughs> because it's, you, you're there to listen, and people who share are there to share their experience, their strength, and their hope is what we say. And that's positive, not to share, not to argue, not to interrupt. Yeah, and, and, and that, is, that is a key thing. But uh, we were talking about preloading. Yes. You know, um, there are some of us, I was not one of them, but I know that there are those of us in the rooms who did preload to go to a meeting because, you know, <laughs> I, I see mean, why it's yeah. a little it, bit. It tense. is. I needed needing something to muster up that, use that liquid courage mm -hmm. to even walk into that room. If you need that, do it. Yeah. Do it. Although I would make the suggestion to look for open meetings. Make sure you're going to an open meeting because closed meetings you've already identified as an alcoholic. So that's the difference between open meeting and well, a closed meeting. A closed meeting is for alcoholics only, and an alcoholic is defined 
as someone who has a desire to quit drinking. So as long as you're serious about wanting to quit drinking, then you're welcome at a closed meeting if, you, if that's what you're there for. If you have questions about what is an alcoholic, what is Alcoholics Anonymous, people in AA are perfectly willing to talk Absolutely. about it. So reach out. Absolutely. Yeah. Big time. And the it helps keep us sober to do that. Hugely. Yes. Yeah. That, that, that list of phone numbers yes. that I don't want to call them because I'll bother them. Right. Do you know how many times, I know you know, yeah. how many times we get a phone call from an alcoholic and it is the perfectly timed thing. And they're wanting to, to talk me. about the same thing that <laughs> yes. we might be working on ourselves. Yes. <laughs> Pretty yes. awesome. Carol, thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. This has been quite fun. Appreciate it. Doc, Carol! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl Podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. to know you a bit Thanks, more. Sam. That was cool. It was cool. And now I want the like the dirt on Don. <laughs> <laughs> I was too drunk to notice a whole lot more. But he was he's been part of my husband's life for a, a, since high school. When you met and I remember going to a keg party and um gosh I I got there at about nine o'clock. Was I passed out? And you were <laughs> you were passed out <laughs> On the Are patio, you? lying next to the bushes over there, and so at least she's oh, out of the way. That's fabulous. That alcohol did me well back then, because I yeah. just get in my own little happy place and pass out. Yeah. God almighty. I don't remember that party. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't remember it. No, I was you, you were out. out real quick. Mm -hmm. I mean. I probably preloaded. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's those little